after I was born again in 1975, I would be reading the Bible and God would be speaking to me. He would explain scripture to me. He would many times remind me of certain scriptures and I would go to those scriptures and read them. He took me to all the scriptures in the Old Testament concerning prophets. Later he revealed to me this is one of the two offices to which I am called to work in, in the church, and that is prophet. Prophets basically deliver messages to the church or to ministers as God shows them. When I was first put on radio In 1980, I had messages such as taking thoughts captive, healing the wounded believer, following God by his spirit. And for the first year and a half, I spoke those messages on radio and was very popular. In 1982, I had been speaking at a little church in Hobbs, New Mexico, And as I was flying back to Dallas, where I lived at that time, I heard the following message from God by his Holy Spirit, bringing it to my mind over and over. The time is come that judgment must begin at the house of God. The time is come that judgment must begin at the house of God. The time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. All the way back to Dallas, that kept being brought to my mind. I didn't know what it meant, nor did I know how to do it, or what I was supposed to do. But it introduced to me the subject that God was going to give me another message other than the subjects I had been speaking. Shortly after this, God began to open my eyes to sins being committed by various big-time radio television ministers. And I knew the minute that I received the information about the sin that I had to get that information to them. First, I tried by cassette tape, by letters. I kept seeing that they were not getting the message. I would send the message, and it was on our ministry letterhead, Jesus Ministries. The envelope said Jesus Ministries. In the inside of the envelope, I would put This is a message from a prophet of Jesus Christ to, and I would name the minister. In one case, it was Jim Baker, and that was 1982. I got a letter back, supposedly, from Jim Baker. It was the standard form letter that many of you have received from ministers when you write to them. It looks like a personal letter, but it isn't. And I can prove the one I got isn't because it said, Dear Jesus, thank you for your inspirational message. Some office worker had looked at 
my letter and had seen it was Jesus Ministries and thought it was sent by someone named Jesus. And Baker supposedly said on it, he did say on it, but it was a form letter that he sent to all, I'm sure, who tried to send him messages from God. He said, Jesus, thank you for your inspirational message. I want you to know, Jesus, that Tammy Faye and I prayed for you today. Jim Baker. See, it's that type of hypocrisy that ministers do all the time. The message that I tried to send him was on the subject of adultery. Unknown to me in 1982, he was committing adultery with the church secretary, Jessica Hahn, who later wrote articles in Playboy magazine about her affair with Jim Baker. I had a message for Jimmy Swaggart. The agent from Michael Ellison Advertising Agency told me this story. He said Jimmy Swaggart first came to them because he was tired of having all those small numbers of people come to his meetings. He had about 500 people come to meetings, and he wanted thousands. So the ad agency told Jimmy Swaggart, take some of that preaching out and sing more. Sing more and play the piano, which uh, Jimmy Swaggart did after the agency told him to do this. God showed me this was such a sin and the message I sent to Jimmy Swaggart was, you need to quit entertaining the people that come to your meetings. Quit entertaining them with music and go back to preaching. I couldn't get the message to Swaggart, just as I couldn't get the message to Baker. So God showed me, just put it on my radio broadcast, which were from coast to coast, New York City to Seattle, and several cities in between. So I began broadcasting these messages on my radio broadcast and named the minister by name and told what the message was. Then I knew the minister got the message because Jimmy Swigert owned two radio stations, one in Dallas, one in Houston, and they immediately put me off the air. So I knew they got the message, and I knew Jim Baker got the message. So God had trained me by taking me to all of these passages in both the Old and New Testament to show me what prophets do. Ezekiel chapter 3 tells very strongly what they do. The first four verses tell us, you must eat the food that I give you, and then speak that word. Well, for the first year and a half, God 
had given me messages on taking thoughts captive and especially on following the Holy Spirit. After I heard the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God, then God called to my mind certain sins that were being committed by these ministers. Well, from that point, I had to deliver those messages, judgment messages. I had a meeting in Seattle at the convention center, and as I approached the meeting room that night, the radio station manager was standing outside the door of the meeting room. George had always been so friendly to me. This time, he wasn't smiling. He said, Joan, you have so many wonderful messages. Just speak those messages. But if you keep speaking these judgment messages on radio, I don't know what's going to happen to you. We may have to put you off the air. The Holy Spirit just rose up and said this, George, if I don't speak the message that I believe to be from God, then I don't have a message and I may as well be off the air. The first thing in Ezekiel chapter 3 that we read, the first instruction God gave to Ezekiel is, Speak that which I give you. Eat that which I give you. Ezekiel chapter 3 verse 1. Ezekiel says, Moreover, he, God, said unto me, Son of man, eat that thou findest, eat this roll, and go speak to those of the house of Israel, the church. Prophets are sent to the church. Ezekiel said, So I opened my mouth, and he caused me to eat that roll. And he, God, said unto me, Son of man, cause thy belly to eat, and fill thy bowels with this roll, that I give thee. Then I did eat it, and it was in my mouth as honey, because you're so happy to receive the word of God. But when you speak it, often it becomes bitter. And Ezekiel said, And it was in my mouth as honey for sweetness. And God said unto me, Son of man, go and get thee to the house of Israel, and speak with my words unto them. For thou art not sent to a people of a strange speech, but to the house of Israel. And in verse 7, God says, But the house of Israel will not hearken unto thee, for they will not hearken unto me, says God. For all the house of Israel are impudent and hard-hearted. Then God said, Behold, I have made thy face strong against their faces and thy forehead strong against their foreheads. As an adamant harder than flint have I made thy forehead. Fear them not, neither be dismayed at their looks, though they be a rebellious house. Moreover, God said unto me, says Ezekiel, Son of man, all my words that I shall speak unto thee, receive in thine heart, and hear with thine ears, and go, get thee to them 
of the captivity, which were the house of Israel, unto the children of thy people, and speak unto them, and tell them, Thus saith the Lord God, whether they will hear, or whether they will forbear. So we learn, as God is training us, you don't ever go by, will they receive the message? If you did that, the devil would talk you out of sending messages to them or giving messages to them. You go only by that message which you believe to be from God to that individual or that church group. And that's the only thing you consider. Did God say this to me? Did God tell me this? And when you believe it is God, you present the message, even if you feel like they may reject the message, you present the message. And then there's a very strong message in Ezekiel 3, another very strong message. This one is so strong that it gave me the strength and courage to always deliver the message and leave nothing undelivered. Starting at verse 17, God says, Son of man, I have made thee a watchman unto the house of Israel. Therefore hear the word at my mouth and give them warning from me. Now, I never tried to see any problem. I always went in good faith to church. I never went looking for a problem. It was only when God gave me that message that it was a problem that I carried the message. There was a very big name television preacher. She told me a story which at the time she told me, I didn't see that sin was involved in what she was doing. She told me that she had learned a way to get all of her books and Bibles and stuff that she sold at her meetings shipped for free to her meetings. She said, always check in at curbside. That was back in the 80s when we had curbside check-in at airports. She said, always check in at curbside. Get a big roll of $1 bills, 20 dollars $1 bills. Let the porter see that in your hand as you check in. She said, he will then ship all your boxes of books without extra baggage charge. And she said, I've taught my daughter to do this, and she's 12 years old, and she can do it. And I didn't see this was sin, but later God called this to my attention, that she was stealing from the airlines as she did this. So you see, it's not that we're looking for sin at church or with preachers. If we were looking for sin, we might really be in error. But it's just that we go in good faith. They tell us things. 
Later, then God shows us what's wrong with the situation, when something is wrong. So verse 18, God says, When I say to the wicked, Thou shalt surely die, and thou givest him not warning, nor speakest to warn the wicked from his wicked way, to save his life, the same wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood will I require at thine hand. Now that really scared me, because basically God is telling me by this scripture, deliver the message I give you. When I give you a message, if you fail to deliver it, and that person continues in his sin and dies, you will be responsible for his blood. One time I said to God, well, is there any place in the New Testament where it says we are responsible if we fail to deliver a message? Immediately I was reminded of Paul speaking to the elders of the church at Ephesus. And Paul said, I am not responsible for your blood because I have delivered every message to you that I've received from God. That's in Acts chapter 20. I'm paraphrasing it, but it's in Acts chapter 20. So I saw that this applies to the New Testament as well as the Old Testament. Son of man, I have made thee a watchman unto the house of Israel. Therefore, hear the word at my mouth and give them warning from me. When I say unto the wicked, Thou shalt surely die, and thou givest him not warning, nor speakest to warn the wicked from his wicked way to save his life, the same wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood will I require at thine hand because you didn't warn him. Yet if thou warn the wicked, and he turn not from his wickedness, nor from his wicked way, he shall die in his iniquity, but thou hast delivered thy soul. Well, I saw how important this work is. You do not withhold anything that you feel is from God. At one point, I attended Word of Faith in Farmer's Branch, Texas, just north of Dallas. I always went to the Sunday school class and the 11 o'clock service. The man who taught our Sunday school class was a divorced man, unmarried, had one child by the first wife. He was evidently a call teacher to the body of Christ. Along the way, I heard about his girlfriend. I went to him and I said, tell me about this girlfriend. And he sort of him and hawed about it and was evasive. And I point blank said, are you having sexual intercourse with this woman, this girlfriend? And he said, of course. That's the tone of voice. He replied, of course. I was deeply grieved, and I said, you know the Bible 
as well as I do. I can have no more to do with you. I can't come to your Bible class. I can't sit by you at church. I can have nothing more to do with you. He replied, that's right. There was no grief in it. There was no shame and there was no sorrow expressed. Now, why can I not have anything more to do with him? Because in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11, Paul said, But now I have written unto you not to keep company. If any man that is called a brother be a fornicator or covetous or an idolater or a railer or a drunkard, or an extortioner, with such a one know not to eat. Therefore put away from among yourselves that wicked person. Paul does not tell us to pray for him, nor to counsel him. That is the reasonable thing to do, but Paul just says don't keep company with him, put him away from you. I believe by putting that person away from you that you turn that person over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. In verse 5, Paul says, To deliver such a one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. This might be his only way to salvation after he has received the knowledge of the truth concerning the sin of fornication and these other sins listed. He already knows this is a sin to do this. Therefore, in Hebrews 10, 26, it says, If you sin willfully after the knowledge of the truth, There's no more sacrifice for your sin. In Hebrews 6, it said, If a man sins after he has received the knowledge of the truth, there is no more sacrifice for sin because Jesus would have to be crucified afresh. And therefore, there's no more sacrifice for sin. But I do believe that by doing what Paul said, turning him over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. And I believe we turn them over to Satan when we say, I can have no more to do with you. That is the way, the loophole, where if they know the truth and willfully sin, that's the loophole. And later in years, this man did indicate to me Fornication was no longer a problem for him because of his flesh. Apparently, his flesh had been destroyed. So Paul says to the church, verse 4, In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together, and my spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, to deliver such an one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the Spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. So I think that that 
gives hope for their salvation after that brother in Christ willfully commits sins, knowing that these are sins to do this. Ezekiel 3, verse 20. Again, when a righteous man doth turn from his righteousness and commit iniquity, and I lay a stumbling block before him, says God, he shall die, because thou hast not given him warning. He shall die in his sin, and his righteousness which he hath done shall not be remembered. But his blood will I require at thine hand. Nevertheless, if thou warn the righteous man, that the righteous man sin not, and he doth not sin, he shall surely live, because he is warned, also thou hast delivered thy soul. This scripture had a very big influence on me, and still does, to deliver the messages given that you believe to be from God, deliver them. And I can say I've never withheld a message to my knowledge that I felt was from God. When one of my neighbors asked me, does this mean you support homosexuals and lesbians? I said to her, no, I don't think so. And I gave to her by mail scriptures about homosexuals and lesbians. Starting with Romans chapter 1. Start at verse 24, Romans 1. Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the Creator. Verse 26. For this cause God gave them up unto vile affections. For even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error, which was meat. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. That's Romans chapter 1, verses 26 through 28. I strongly encourage you, if someone asks you if you approve homosexuals, lesbians, that you read this scripture to them. Take this exact scripture and read it to them. For it's only the scripture that's strong enough. It will not be strong enough if you just say, oh no, because the Bible is against homosexual and lesbian. God is, has shown he is against them. 
that will not be strong enough. Read the Bible to them. The Word of God is what's strong. Always read that exact Word upon which you base your life. Thank you for allowing me to share this with you today.